It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brett Ruff. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Clark, on the air, touchdown! Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are incredible! Listen to me, I'm older and I'm wise. Yeah, well, you're half right. What is this, amateur hour? This is gonna be huge. I believe this is gonna be our finest hour. Just when I think you've said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking. I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. That boy ain't right. The simplest way to put it, I have problems. Welcome to the alleged show. Y'all ready for this? Thank God it's... Ready to roll into a sports weekend with the Sports Rush. Glad you're joining us for this Friday edition. I am Brett Rump. Adam Lundy in studio. Our producer coming up this hour, Alan Karpik. The publisher president of GoldenBlack.com to talk some Purdue basketball. Of course, what a weekend we've got ahead of us. It's highlighted by the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Many people believe this is the premier weekend of the NFL season. Starts on Saturday afternoon with the Jacksonville Jaguars going to Kansas City to take on the top-seeded Chiefs. Right now, Kansas City, a nine-point favorite. The Chiefs beat the Jaguars back in mid-November by 10. Uh, I I mean, I think the Jaguars have been a great story, but let's be honest. They come from weak division. If you look at their opponents that they beat, most of them are not going to scare you all that much. And uh, I, I just... I mean, I can see ways the Jaguars could make it exciting, but the Chiefs are just a better football team. Yeah. And uh, and right now at this point in the career, I think Patrick Mahomes is a better quarterback. And Trevor Lawrence, I think, is getting there. But I, I think it's a little premature to crown the Jaguars as this year's Cincinnati Bengals. And so I think... I, I mean, the nine points kind of scares me, but I do believe in the Chiefs to win this game at home. Yeah, I, I think the Chiefs will be able to handle business. I think um, the Jaguars will be an interesting team for the next couple of years coming up with uh, Trevor Lawrence continuing to improve. But uh, I think Chiefs are just the better overall team this year. Divisional matchup has the Giants and the Eagles. Of course, the Eagles had the bye as the top seed in the NFC. Um I I think the defense makes the difference. I, I think the defense for the Eagles just makes things really difficult in the Giants. I don't know if Daniel Jones is the kind of quarterback that you can ride. Uh, I, there's a lot of people making comparisons to this year's Giants team with the Eli team of uh, a decade ago. I, I'm not going to buy it. I think the Eagles at home with their crowd, I'm going to give them a victory. I don't know about the seven and a half points because um, I don't think this is going to be a real shootout between these two teams. The, the seven and a half points, again, a number that kind of scares me away from betting the Eagles, but I've got the Eagles to advance. Yeah, I think the Eagles will be able to uh, handle business. I think uh, Giants hit a good uh, wild card round, but I think uh, it stops there for them. I'm going to give uh, credit to my my future MVP of the National Football League, Joe Burrow, here, because <laughs> I, I think that the Bengals are, are going to show something against the Bills. 
And, you know, the Bills have been a little shaky. Josh Allen has not been perfect. He's made some mistakes. He's thrown some picks. He's turned the ball over. I, I'm not buying the Bills like a lot of people are. And, uh, and I think the Bengals are a very focused football team. I think that uh, Joe Burrow is about as competitive as they come. I, you know, I could be made out to be a complete fool come Sunday afternoon. <laughs> but I'm taking the Bengals. You're going to give me five and a half points. I'll gladly accept them. I'm, I'm taking the Bengals definitely with the points. But I, I'm going to go Bengals to win this game outright on the road against Buffalo. Yeah, this was certainly the hardest game for me to pick as well. Um, I'm I'm going to go with the Bills. Uh, I just think they're going to take the uh, momentum from what's happened with them the last couple weeks and uh, put that onto the field, hopefully. The Cowboys 49ers will finish off the weekend. It's a 6.30 kick Sunday evening. It will be televised by Fox. 49ers are a four-point favorite. I... Huh. This is where it starts to really get real, really get real for Brock Purdy. I mean, now the pressure really starts to mount. How much can he handle? For Dak Prescott, he understands this stage. He knows how important it is that he play well. Uh, the question is, can he handle the pressure? Because I think the 49ers, 49ers will put it on him. But on reverse side, can Brock Purdy handle the pressure that the Dallas Cowboys will put on him? Uh, the only difference here, it comes down to the running game. Do you believe that Dallas can run it against that 49ers defense? Do you believe that the 49ers can run it against that Dallas defense? Here's, here's where, here's where I kind of lean one way here. And, and to me, this was the toughest game for me to pick, quite honestly, Adam, is that I think the 49ers are going to be able to run the football more effectively against the Cowboys defense than the Cowboys will be able to run it against the 49ers defense. And so, I, I think if the 49ers are able to establish the run, and Christian McCaffrey's been terrific for them, I I think they're going to be able to win the game because that will then get, take some of the pressure off of Brock Purdy. And uh, I, I'm I'm really torn on this. Four points, you you know me. Three three points is kind of my yeah. my gold mark for for uh, uh, when I look at lines, and when it gets over three. I get a little nervous about betting the favorite in a game that I think could come down to a field goal. So I, I don't like to put money on this one with San Francisco minus four, but I think I give a slight edge to the 49ers. Yeah, I honestly just like the makeup of the 49ers team, and I like the way that they've won their games so far. I, they they looked really good against Seattle, so I, I'm going to go with the 49ers to win against the Cowboys as well. One team we don't have to worry about picking this weekend, obviously, the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, they've been <laughs> long out of the playoffs. But the Colts are in a position where they've got choices because they've got the number four pick. Do they sit at number four and hope a quarterback falls to them? Uh, do they do they even trade out a four to get multiple picks? Uh, here's, here's the thing. I, I started to look at the teams that are in the playoffs and thought, you know, there's kind of a constant here. All of these teams were built around quarterbacks, and I can't say all. Six of the eight were built around quarterbacks that were drafted when these teams either had a high first-round draft pick or went out and got the draft pick to be able to get who they wanted. The Buffalo Bills, 
drafted Josh Allen, first-round pick. Cincinnati Bengals drafted Joe Burrow, first-round pick. Jacksonville got Trevor Lawrence, number one. The Chiefs, they went up in the first round because they decided Patrick Mahomes was their guy and they weren't going to miss out on him. And remember, the Chiefs had Alex Smith, who was actually playing well for them. But they decided that Patrick Mahomes was going to be the quarterback of their future, and they went and got him. Uh, Jalen Hurts, they had uh, Carson Wentz, but they decided they thought Jalen Hurts might be better for their future. And then those two battled for a couple of years before Jalen Hurts basically won the job, first-round draft pick in Philly. And we all remember when the Giants surprised a lot of people by taking Daniel Jones out of Duke with, what was it, the sixth overall pick? <clears throat> Took him high first round, but it's paid off for the Giants. And Jones has developed. And, I, I mean, he's not an elite quarterback, but he's a playoff quarterback, and he's a playoff winning quarterback now after their victory last week against Minnesota. But all of these teams, when they got that opportunity to go get a quarterback, went and got a quarterback, and now they're being rewarded. In some cases, a couple of years later, three years later, five years later. But the future, it all depends on, in that first round, can you find the quarterback that you could build your team around for future success? The Colts have to take advantage of having a top pick, maybe even having the assets to make it an even better pick, I don't know if the Bears are going to be willing to deal. Too often that number one pick overall uh, demands such a high price tag that you can't afford to go up to number one. But, you know, what do the Colts do? I think there's no question the Colts are going to have to draft a quarterback. And if you look at the history of the NFL and the success that teams are having, even this year, I, I think it's pretty evident that that would be the right choice for the Colts. Now, we're going to debate as we further evaluate some of these quarterbacks, who is the guy that you want the Colts to draft? You know, if you find a guy you fall in love with, maybe you pay that price to go up to number one. Maybe you have to give that price. But, uh, but the Colts are in a position where I don't think they're left with much choice but to draft the quarterback of the future and, and, you know, you look around the league and you, there, there's a number of, of teams that have tried to patch up the quarterback by getting a quarterback from someone else. You know, look at Carolina. They're an example of that. Uh, you look at New Orleans, what they've done, trying to uh, replace Drew Brees. Um, I mean, you can look around the league and see multiple cases, and the Colts, of course, are one of them, where teams tried to... Uh, kind of fill the void by getting a quarterback from someone else. What about the Denver Broncos? We saw what a disaster that was this year. Now, they still think that they can can uh, turn that situation around, and maybe they can because a lot of that was making a bad choice as their head coach. But the, the point remains, the teams that are having success, these are guys they drafted. They drafted high in the first round. They put them out there from the start, maybe got mixed results early on, but they've ridden them to playoff success now two, three, four, five years later. And so there's no question, no doubts, that if you're questioning what the Colts should do and whether they need multiple pieces or they need, uh, you know, they need this or they need that, it's, it's like there is no choice. The Colts are going to have to go get a quarterback. 
And maybe it's not the most elite quarterback group, although I do think it's much better than last year. But maybe it's not the best that we've seen. But, hey, you know, I I don't know if Jalen Hurts was expected to be what he's turned out to be. Josh Allen, I think he was the third. Was he the third quarterback taken that year or the fourth quarterback taken that year? So, you know, sometimes you're it's still a bit of a risk and it's a gamble, but it's a gamble the Colts are going to have to take if they want to have future success. 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line, 46862. What a heartbreaker for the women. They took on Northern Kentucky at 11 a.m. this morning. It was one of those kids' games. Tough one. Down by 10 with like a minute to go. Furious rally. They got within two with 18 seconds, but then fell short and lost their game against Northern Kentucky by six. They'll get back at it on Sunday, and they'll go to where the Mastodons men just played last night at Wright State, uh, and they will play that game on Sunday afternoon. 46862, the Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Speaking of the NFL, I don't know if you saw Byron Leftwich out as the offensive coordinator in Tampa Bay. And it's not just Byron Leftwich. They cleaned house. They got rid of about nine different coaches. Some were assistant position group coaches, uh, position group coaches, the offensive coordinator. They are making sweeping changes to the coaching staff as I kind of feel like they're preparing that Tom Brady's not going to be part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next year. I know that door's still open, but to me, I just cannot imagine that Tom Brady is going to play football next season. First of all, it's a guy that went through a divorce, and he's got kids. And I, I can tell you personally, you go with that, and one of the first things you think about is, what do I need to do as a parent to uh, to continue to be the best father I can be in a split household? And I think time is one of the things he can give. He's made enough money, made plenty of money, but he can free up his schedule to provide more time to his kids. Number two, it used to be that it felt like Tom Brady uh, got joy from playing football. He never looked super happy in any of the games I saw this year. It didn't look like he was getting the joy of playing the game. looked like he was always upset with somebody. Never had a, a big smile on his face. In fact, I think the happiest he looked was when he walked off the field for the last time in Tampa Bay when he almost looked relieved and he went up and gave his parents a kiss and walked off to the locker room waving his cap. That seemed to me to be one of the lightest moments of the season for Tom Brady. And the other thing is I think he's also going to sit back and realize winning Super Bowls are maybe not as easy as, as I made this appear. For many years, Tom Brady made it look somewhat routine to get to the Super Bowl, to win Super Bowl championships. And the last couple of years may have taught him that it's not a given, it's not a a simple formula, and that maybe those years of getting to the Super Bowl and winning a Super Bowl and the effort it takes to do that, not only by yourself but with your teammates, that maybe those days have passed him by. And if you're not going to win a championship, 
and you're sacrificing some of the personal sacrifices that he would have to make to be away from kids and family, I just honestly don't know that he's going to find a reason to come back and want to prove it with another team. And is there a team out there? And, and here's the other thing. Is there a team out there that's built to win the Super Bowl minus a quarterback? Because I think that's what it would take, right? You'd have to look at a roster and say they're only a quarterback away. Because who's going to invest in Tom Brady to be their quarterback and build toward a three- or four-year cycle? It's not going to happen. It's not going to work for Tom Brady. That's not going to work for the NFL team. So at this point... I don't see a team that's just the right fit. People can say Miami. That's great. Is Miami want to derail Tua right now, take a chance on Brady for what might be a one- or two-year period, and then feel good about bringing Tua back if he's even still with the team? I mean, I just... I don't even know if that's worth it for Tampa not, or for Miami. Now, Miami might be the most logical choice of any, but I still just because he would be there with his kids, his wife, Giselle, just or ex-wife, Giselle, just bought a, uh, a house uh, in, in Miami, and it's right across from where Tom Brady has a house in Miami. Uh, so there's a lot that would make sense from a logistics standpoint. I just don't know if it makes sense from a football standpoint. I... I I don't know, Adam, I'm not sure where you're leaning on this, but I I kind of feel like we've seen the last of Tom Brady playing in an NFL game. Yeah, I just don't know where he would go where he could like you said make himself, you know, look good enough and and get to a place in the in the postseason again where he wants to get to to make himself, you know, to be able to prove that that I'm still at this level. So it's like you said. I if, if I'm Miami, I'm more inclined to inquire about Lamar Jackson. If I'm Miami personally, um, so it's it's just I, I I don't see a situation either that Tom Brady ends up in where he's you know he's back, he looks like the goat again. They get to a Super Bowl again. I I don't see that situation happening either. It's 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 it's, it's a long shot, is what I would say. I mean, Miami lost a football game, but they scored 30-plus points in the playoffs. Uh, it's not like that's a sign that they're a quarterback away. To me, yeah, you've got the two receivers that probably would would excite Tom Brady because I think that's one of the criteria. Does he have the receiver? I, I just, I don't know. I don't see it happening in Miami. And maybe I could be wrong, but I just don't see Miami throwing in everything and putting all their chips in the middle on Tom Brady for one or maybe two years, and I can't see it being more than two. I mean, if it, in fact, I would be surprised if it goes more than one. And I just don't think you you change direction for a guy like Tom Brady, who's 46 years old, or will be 46. Uh, I don't even know if he is or will be, but he's around 46 years old. I think that you just don't you don't go that direction, and so I I don't see. Tom Brady playing again. 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line 46862. Also, I don't see Mike Bray coaching Notre Dame after this season. <laughs> Good call. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, brilliant, right? Good call. Yeah, that that's uh, my segue. Uh, Mike Bray has announced, uh, along with Notre Dame, that uh, he will be stepping aside. Now, it was originally reported. 
that Mike Bray was going to, quote, retire. And then it was uh, kind of amended to be more of a stepping aside to uh, let a different voice be heard. And, I mean, clearly, this is a guy that's that's had a successful run at Notre Dame. And Notre Dame's trying to do everything they can to protect the reputation of Mike Bray. And Mike Bray's trying to handle this with as much dignity and professionalism as he can. But it is awkward. I mean, a guy that's had as much success as he's had, but clearly the trend has been downward, and now it's like quickly moving downward. They're 1-7 in in the ACC. They're losing games they should not lose. They're losing games to teams like Florida State by large margins at home, and uh, it's time. And it's unfortunate. I like Mike Bray. He's been on the show, and he's always been enjoyable when we've had him on the show. He's He's got a great sense of humor, fun guy to talk to, but Notre Dame just has continued to slowly decline over the last three or four years, and uh, and it's just got to be time to, to move the program forward. You're going to have to get new leadership, and you're going to have to get a new head coach. And so Mike Bray stepping down at the end of the season, I, I, I mean, this has been something that you – you felt like you could see it coming, the way Notre Dame was going this year. And, uh, yeah, they had a little bit of a of a run in the tournament, but it, it still was a program that's trajectory seemed to be declining. Their national interest in basketball, which is never the biggest sport at Notre Dame anyway, but it seemed to be declining. And uh, I think Notre Dame and Mike Bray probably doing the right thing, having discussions about perhaps finding a way to replace him with some dignity, and uh, that's essentially what's happening here. Yeah, I mean, it's been a it's been a good run, but when things need to uh, come to an end and, you know, you need to refresh something, you know, when it's time, it's time. So I'm, I'm glad that Notre Dame is, you know, able to recognize that and uh, begin the process of moving on here with their basketball program. 46862, the Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Always welcome your thoughts. Uh, by the way, coming up tonight, we've got high school basketball. Kind of excited about this matchup with the Northside Legends taking on the Homestead Spartans, boys basketball, and uh, this should be a heck of a game. Yeah. We've got it tonight at about 7.45, maybe 7.30, somewhere in that ballpark. You'll be able to hear it right here at 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. And uh, always presented by Indiana Physical Therapy. Plus, after the game, get all the scores of area games that take place tonight. And, of course, uh, we'll be looking ahead with girls' basketball sectionals just around the corner. And uh, all, all you need to know when the games wrap up tonight with our uh, Parkview Sports Medicine High School Basketball post-game show live from Pizza Hut. Now, I assume tonight it's at Coventry. Yes, I'm, it is. I'm guessing because the game's at Homestead. So are you part of the show tonight, Adam? Are you back on? Um, nope. It'll be uh, Josh Williams and Dute tonight. Wow. We've got a new tandem hosting the show tonight. Josh mm-hmm. Williams and Dute. Uh, they'll get you, uh, of course, Dute, always full of information. He's... Uh, He's always got all the inside scoop on the high school basketball scene. So you can get that tonight, 
So if you want to get caught up everything that's happening, go ahead and check it out. And that is the Parkview Sports Medicine High School Basketball Post Game Show right here, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. And you can always, uh, as well, uh, stop by at the Coventry Pizza Hut and hang out with the guys while they do the show. And that will be tonight between about 9.15 and 10.30 right here on your radio dial. we got to take a time out, and when we get back, we're going to be talking to Alan Karpik. He's the publisher president of GoldenBlack.com. Purdue, number three in the country. Nice win last night over Minnesota. We'll talk about what's ahead and what we know about this Purdue team. Also, what are the keys to Matt Painter's success? All of it coming up next here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. The Friday edition of the Sports Rush coming to you live from the banks of the Ohio River, literally. I'm looking right out now over the Ohio River into downtown Cincinnati. Mastodons take on Northern Kentucky tomorrow, a 6 o'clock tip. We'll be on the air with the pregame show starting at 545 at 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Last night, Purdue Boilermakers, a win on the road at Minnesota. Pretty convincing, especially when it comes to the defensive end. They went at 61-39. to Joining us to talk Purdue basketball is Alan Karpik. He is the president and publisher of GoldenBlack.com. Alan, good afternoon. Good afternoon, yes. And it's, it is a good time at Purdue basketball just because... Uh, you hold a team to 39 points. It's the lowest point total by a Big Ten opponent on their home court in, in a Purdue game dating back to 1944, and that's even before I was born. So, wow. really, a, you know, it wasn't a great, a perfect performance offensively for Purdue last night, but I thought uh, defensively and just taking care of business, Purdue is very well. Wow, we've got uh, Alan bringing a Dan Patrick stat of the day. I like that. Yeah. That, that, that was it's good, Alan. Sure, and maybe, uh, um, maybe silly, but <laughs> it's, uh, it is a fun stat. It uh, it absolutely is, and of course, uh, everybody was talking about this and buzzing about it when it got to halftime and the offensive futility of Minnesota, and a lot of that, of course, because of the intensity of the Purdue defense and. You know, that's that's my question. This team's identity, I don't know if it's maturity, if it's toughness, if it's defense, if it's Zach Eady. Um, but, you know, this team seems to be very confident in itself and exactly what it is. Is that a fair assessment? I think it is. And I do think it probably starts with Zach Eady, in all honesty, and the fact that this is the guy that just, you know, we saw it last night in last night's game. He just in the first five minutes of the game, he changed Minnesota. Every every time Minnesota got in the lane, they had to deal with him. And uh, he is a game changer. But this is a very unique team, and, and it's, it's hard not to overstate it. Um, you have two freshmen that are making a huge impact on this team. That's part of it. But you also have nine players that are really kind of interchangeable in a lot of ways. And uh, it seems to be, uh, obviously, Zach Eadie's the National Player of the Year uh, candidate, if not favorite, but you have a you have a team that that can go through him, but they can do a lot of different things, and that's what's making it really fun for Purdue. Of course, a lot of the Purdue offense is geared around Braden Smith and some of the decision making and the engineering of that offense. We knew coming in that Fletcher Lawyer could shoot the basketball. Whether or not yeah. physically he'd be ready to play at a Big Ten level, I thought that was my question mark about Lawyer. 
But Braden Smith, I did not expect this in a position of this kind of significant importance that, that he's been providing. Last night we saw the other side of Braden Smith, not just a distributor but a scorer. What has he meant to Purdue? It's been pretty unreal. It has been pretty unreal, but Fletcher, Fletcher Lawyer has been unreal as well. I mean, he's, he's, he's exceeded expectations in terms of toughness. He did not have as big a game last night, but Fletcher, or, um, Braden Smith, you know, we, we talking about him being number 166 or wherever he was ranked, uh, in the top, uh, players coming in. Uh, Matt Painter obviously saw something in him and he has proven time and again that he can make plays in crunch time. And I thought one of the things that was really important last night after the game, Matt Painter said, you know, are you, are you comfortable with Braden Smith shooting the basketball? Yeah, we want him to shoot more. We want him to be more of an offensive uh, force. And, and he certainly was that last night. But the thing I like about both those guys is just their, their ability to be unflappable. They just are they're that way. They don't. They live to the moment. They're not about themselves. They're willing to do whatever it takes to win. Whether that is to get the ball to Zach Eady, you know, you got to remember, Fletcher Lawyer made the pass against Michigan State that had to be on on point. Got it, got him the ball, and and uh, Zach Eady deposited the basket. There's a certain selflessness for those two guys that's really, really unique, and a certain maturity for those two that uh, is hard to hard to imagine for guys that are freshmen. Well, and, of course, we've seen Pletcher Lawyer not hesitate to take the shot as well, not yeah. just pass it to, to Edie, but to also be in a position where he's taken that shot late. And regardless of what's happened previously in the game, he seems to go up with that shot with a lot of confidence, like I'm the guy that should be taking it and I'm the guy that's going to make it because I'm, I'm holding the dagger right now. Let's. Uh, I want to talk about Matt Painter because sometimes I don't know, think he gets enough credit for just what he has done with this Purdue program. I mean, this was not any kind of, I mean, it was always a good program, but it was not what you would call a blue blood of college basketball. But he started to build a program that's now having some sustained success. And and, and I wonder, Alan, because you're close to the program, if I said to you, what's the key to Matt Painter and his coaching and, and his success as a coach, where does it start? What's the first thing you would think of when I ask that question? Well, I think for Matt Painter, two things. One, intellectual ability. He's just a very, very intelligent guy. He, he gets the grand scheme of what, you know, what uh, you're going to bring to the table and, and does it well. But also just consistency. He is who he is. He's comfortable in his own skin. He's shown that time and again with the, with the job he's done. Uh, he's not about Matt Painter. It's about his players. But he's a guy that can lead and he gets good people. Uh, you know, whether it be Paul Lusk or Terry Johnson or Brandon Bramley, he's got really good people around him. And all of that is a, is a, uh, environment and a, a situation that I don't know if Purdue's going to win national championships or ever get to the Final Four, but I like Purdue's opportunities or odds just by all the things that are set up with what Matt Painter's brought to the program. And, and, you know, we always talk about the NCAA tournament being a kind of a crapshoot, and it is. You've got to be lucky at the right time. You've got to win that game when you don't play your best. Uh, Purdue did not win the game last year against St. Peter's when it didn't play its best. Does that make Matt Painter a failure? No. Uh, it makes him, 
maybe more determined to try to get to the next level, but also it makes him also a lover of basketball, a guy that's deeply entrenched in, in, in the purity of the game, and that's what really makes him unique as a basketball guy. The other thing I think that is so unique at Purdue, in a day and age where it kind of overpowers college sports, and, uh, and it's even more so now with the NIL, how does he get such talented players to leave their ego at the door and to play really for one another and with one another? Well, I, I think he made a strategic decision maybe seven, eight years ago. He had a couple really, you know, challenging years in 2013 and 14 where this program wasn't where he would, would have wanted it. Um, he got it to a higher level, obviously, with Rob Hummel and Etwan Moore and Jawan Johnson. But uh, that was a struggle. I think he had to, you know, I think he, what he did was really look at himself and figure out what he needed. And what he needed was, and, and maybe he was ahead of the curve, maybe he wasn't, but college basketball is about guys that can score and can shoot the basketball. And he figured that out. Uh, you got guys like Dakota Mathias and uh, Carson Edwards and Ryan Klein, all those kind of guys that maybe were not, were not coveted by everybody in the country, but they could do one thing. They loved playing basketball, and they could shoot the basketball. Well, now he's got a Braden Smith and a... Let your lawyer that loves playing basketball can shoot the basketball, can play basketball, but he's also got just great grinders. Caleb First, obviously from your area, is playing extremely well. He played very well last night. He's making the plays, and he makes. If you look back at the at, at if Purdue has the year that a Big Ten championship season, it might be his three pointer against Michigan State, Caleb First, that really made the difference because Purdue is down four in that situation. <laughs> And he had the guts to shoot it and make it. And that is Matt Painter basketball. That is Caleb First basketball. But that's also kind of the the the, uh, the fabric of where Purdue is right now. That's why it's in a really good position. It's almost like he builds a personality profile of what type of kid he wants to be part of his team. Because one thing that's constant with all of these guys you talk about, Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, Caleb First, is they are competitors. They love the game, but they are competitors. And uh, and I think that does show through with the Boilermakers. They've got Maryland coming in to Mackey Arena this weekend. What are the keys for the Boilers against the Terrapins? Well, I think, in, in like any game, is a you know you got to remember, yeah, you know, Purdue has got a two-game lead in the loss column. That's kind of a baseball term anymore, but that is the truth. It looks really good, but you also have to remember that Purdue almost could have lost to Nebraska back in December. They had had to beat Ohio State, who at the time was ranked, but has really struggled since then. There was a tough win. Fletcher Lawyer hit that big shot. They, you know, they have a last-second win against Michigan State. You put those three games in the loss column, produce with with everybody else. So I think this is a team that has to remember where it is. I think it will do that. But I also look at Maryland. Maryland comes in a team that got hammered on the road at Michigan, but they they righted that wrong by beating Michigan last night. Purdue's got to be on high alert, absolutely, and I think that's going to be that way when Michigan State comes in. Uh, a couple weeks from now when Purdue goes to Michigan next week. Everybody can beat you. Purdue's not impervious to, to defeat, and I think that that's the right attitude for Purdue moving forward. 
Appreciate you taking time to talk to us, Alan. Have a great weekend. And, of course, we'll follow the content, goldandblack.com. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. appreciate it very much. That is Alan Karpik. He is the president and publisher of goldandblack.com, joining us to talk Purdue basketball. We're going to take a time out. We'll come back. We'll put the finishing touches on another week of the Sports Rush next and tell you what to look forward to this weekend with your sports calendar. It's all part of the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. So someone joked to me last night, the Mastodons have struggled a little bit at home of late, winning, losing a couple of Horizon League games on their home court. But they've won three straight away from home, three straight road games in the Horizon League. And that's tough to do, uh, to win conference games on the road. And I joked and said, yeah, apparently, rather than being motivated by a cheering crowd, they like to deflate the energy of a building because they've they've lost their home games. They've won <laughs> on the road. And so last night, Wright State's fans all excited, ready to go, ready to knock off the Mastodons. And the Dons came out on fire in that first half, scored 51 first-half points, rolled to the 88-8. to victory on the road at Wright State. They'll try to win their fourth straight Horizon League road game tomorrow against Northern Kentucky. And that game will start at 6 o'clock. We'll have your pregame at 545. Big NBA action tonight. Pacers trying to put a snap to that five-game losing streak, taking on a team that's won eight straight games. They're in Denver. But the big one, the Grizzlies. John Conchar and company. And some would say John Morant and company, but not me. Uh, John Conchar and company <laughs> in Hollywood taking on the Los Angeles Lakers tonight. That's the big one in the NBA. And, of course, this weekend, ah, NFL Divisional Playoffs. We've already made our picks, but it is the Jaguars Chiefs and the Giants Eagles for Saturday action. And then on Sunday, you've got the Bengals Bills and the finale, the Cowboys at the 49ers. Should be a great weekend. A lot of college basketball, a lot of NFL football. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks again for locking us in on your Friday edition of the Sports Rush. Got to thank our guests that appeared on the show. Zach Osterman from the Indy Star. Also, Alan Karpik, the president and publisher of goldandblack.com. Enjoy high school basketball tonight. Northside Homestead coming your way around 730. That does it for us. For Adam Lundy back in the studio, I am Brett Rump. This has been the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Get into you with it.